This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you feeling a bit animated? Well, come on over to the Wicked Anime Podcast on the Nerdy Show Network, a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to animation, Japanese culture, and all things anime. With a true industry perspective, we're always diving deeper than school uniforms and tentacle monsters. Join us on the Wicked Anime Podcast, nerdyshow.com slash wicked anime. It's Wicked A! Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. It contains content that might not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Do you hear that? In the cruel blackness of night, an unknowable evil from beyond time cries out. What dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham, and which unwitting souls, innocent or impure, will succumb to the maddening call, the call of Cthulhu. Nerdy Show and Dr. Moore's Marvel Whirling Spray bring you part seven of the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Tonight's strange story, Dust to Dust. Say, pal, we're on shore leave. Why so stiff? My guts are all tangled up. Because of her? Not my type. It's my keister, mister. Keister? But it's not even our first date. Hey, now. I'm not feeling the least bit fresh, so don't you start. Mind if I cut in, gentlemen? I should say so. This is a private conversation between two fellas. But she appeared out of nowhere. Typical dame. Who are you anyway? I'm Nurse Marvel, and I couldn't help but notice that your friend is in need of release. Fortunately, I've got just the thing. Dr. Moore's Marvel Rolling Spray. The health secret that keeps... Sporting men vital for internal cleanliness. Well, I'll be. This is a fancy instrument. Just so. You simply fill a bulb with liquid, insert the tip in the aft, and let Dr. Moore's Marvel Whirling Spray go to work. A patented disc of restless Menar metal whirls the liquid into a water spout that cleans you out. And it'll make my shit a ship shape? It'll put you at ease, sailor. And you can rest assured of that. Dr. Moore's Marvel Whirling Spray has been twice awarded gold medals of excellence from the Société du Gène de France, and by the Paris International Exposition. That's Dob. Say, why don't you give this a whirl, old sport? Aye, aye. Seamen love the clean port of call, and you will too. Find Dr. Moore's Marvel Whirling Spray at your local drug and department store. For over 30 years, the choice of doctors, nurses, and millions of discerning gentlemen and ladies. Demons from the sky. Grotesque nightmares and arcane sciences that can make flesh dust and flesh again. 
These are but the most recent horrors faced by our ill-fated investigators. However, this intrepid team is hot on the trail of the possible source of their woes. A remote cabin in the Bolton Woods. Estelle, Kenneth, and Cherry creep around for a rear entry, while Mountain Man Moses keeps watch on Oswald the Hobo King as he's invited in the front door by a familiar voice. Hello out there. I'm sorry, I'm afraid I'm quite busy right now. Who's there, please? Estelle and Cherry. As you're making your way around the side of the cabin, you recognize that voice. Are you a drifter, sir? And how? It's that chipper and strange fellow on the bicycle who headed to the Elias estate. The butler? Yes. Oh, good grief. I'm pretty sure that's the butler. What would he be doing here? What butler are you talking about? The one on the bicycle who almost caught you. That checks out. We found the address to this place in his room. We better hurry. If he's been kidnapping people and dragging them out here, Oswald and Moses might be over their heads. Oswald turns the knob and opens the door, not stepping directly in, but sort of sidesteps and presses the door open to get a good look at what's inside. As you peer into the cabin, for the most part, it's one large room, but you can see to the back there's a door leading into a separate room in the rear. You also see that there appears to be some kind of a laboratory kitchen setup. You can't get a lot of specific detail unless you're gonna go further inside. But standing in the doorway, you get a whiff of all kinds of strange scents of spices and a kind of a weird ammonia smell to the place. I inquire to the person inside, oh, I see uh, you're, you're making moonshine. Are, are you a gentleman who makes the white whiskey? Among other things, come in, my friend. Uh, Oswald has been into worse situations, and he, he yeah. has a natural sense of, of good hoboness. He's the hobo king. You don't become a hobo king by, you know, being a, a yellow belly. So uh, he'll stride in and, and say, good sir, give me some of your lovely white lightning. Ah, moonshine, you mean? Yes, of course. He reaches over and grabs a small bottle and holds it out in your direction. This man, Oswald, he's just past middle age. He's fit, rather well kept, and he has quite an intense smile. Is it an unsettling intense uh, smile? You can roll your psychology. Uh, so that'd be a 10? <laughs> yes, it would. All right, here we go. Uh, nope. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a misread. Uh, you think he might be a little interested in you. All right. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I give myself a little dust off and I say, Good sir, um, you know, I don't mean to be rude. Please, um, you should have the first swig of your own brew. Well, I make it, but I don't drink it, you see. Differing tastes. I do have some brandy in the cabinet, though. Brandy is my middle name. Oswald Brandy Sinclair. <laughs> well, then. This should please and delight, I dare say. As he turns his back, I'm, I'm making snapping noises uh, with the other hand. I think you're the only one in earshot. <laughs> so are you some kind of, you're not some kind of criminal, are you or a rum runner? Oh, no, no, no. As a matter of fact... He was making his way over to a cabinet. But as he passes what looks like an umbrella stand, he reaches into it and whips out a dueling saber. Now, I, I did hear his snapping, and about this time I've moved to where I can see in the doorway, and I say, drop it, son. Oh, friends, how delightful. Oswald, you actually have the highest initiative, so you're going to go first for this. I'm, I'm going to reach behind me and, and withdraw my crowbar, and I'll give a good, how about thee? Make a dexterity or a melee weapons check. 
48 out of uh, 75. You're able to wrench the crowbar out from your pants. You get it up and ready, but you're not quite ready to swing it on him because you have to pull it out. I'm going to shoot at the ground at his feet. You want to make an intimidate roll? Yes. I'm going to give you a bonus die because you got a gun in your hand. Both would have been fine. Okay. I ain't fooling. At that point, rather than attacking your associate, he begins to lunge at you. <laughs> He's coming at you with his saber. If you want, you can try to parry with your rifle, you could try to dodge it, or you could try to hit him back. Would Brawl be to parry it? Yeah. I'll try to parry it, try to stay on target as much as possible. Okay. 26 against 70. You managed to knock his blade aside. <laughs> he is pretty good with this thing. You can tell. Like, Not he's good. got good form. Nice. <laughs> well, having heard the shot, we're closer to the back door, I'm guessing, so I'm just going to run to it and see about bursting in there. You try the knob, but it's locked. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, bash the door. Okay. My, use my strength. 91. <laughs> You're bashing at the door. Is our man phased at all by this? His grin only seems to have gotten more intense. He's got this wild-eyed stare to him that speaks of eyes that have seen more than death. <laughs> this gentleman has charged my mountain man friend, so I'm gonna take the opportunity to brandish my crowbar and bring it swiftly into his pelvis with all of my fury like the hammer of justice. Okay, here, you get a bonus die for that since you've got someone in the fight with you? Oh, uh, that's a four. Okay, a four. So you do max damage. And by the way, as I crack, I yell, BULLY! He is totally focused on killing your mountain man friend and does not really see this coming. So, with a sickening crack, you lay into this old man's hip with your crowbar. Ah! His hip obviously shatters under the weight of your swing. Mm. He falls to the ground, lets out kind of a whimper before mm -hmm. basically seeming to uh, stop moving. His eyes are open, but he's not making any noise. I'm going to back away keep the gun trained on his head and say, let go of that pig sticker. He doesn't seem to respond. We can wait this out as long as you want, my friend. The party at the rear door finally bursts through into the back room. It's a rustic but cleanly kept bedroom, and you can quickly see across the way there's a closed interior door. I'll call out to my friends inside the house. It's like, anything? Fellas, everything all right in there? We'll get to the next door. Weapons at the ready to take on whatever we find. And uh, Os Oswald is going to be you know, prodding the body as you do in hobo fashion uh, with the crowbar. He does not seem to be breathing. That's not important. Okay. <laughs> it's part of the process. Please understand. But is he gurgling? That's what I need to know. It is the butler. Did, is he breathing? Well, he's not butlering. Well, what did you do to him? <laughs> I crowbarred him in, uh, in the baby maker. Looks like blood is beginning to pool around his crotch region. Oswald, you flick that thing out of his hand with that crowbar, please. Uh, that's a good idea. I'll, I'll put a, a, a booted foot down on his wrist okay. and then just kind of try to hit it with the crowbar. I'm going to crowbar it <laughs> from his dead cold hand or comatose hands. Yeah, you need to. He has a vice-like grip on this thing, but you eventually pry it away. I'll cause... break the fingers if I have to. I no, mean, I'm not shy. It's not that severe. It's not my first rodeo. <laughs> well, since that's all taken care of, what do we see? The size and scope of the laboratory was more than Oswald was initially able to tell from the doorway. It's pretty large. A whole corner of the room is taken up with some very abnormal-looking distillation equipment. And scattered around the bubbling still are smears and small piles of salty ash and luminescent dust. Well, I'm a man who loves herbs and spices, but I've already got too much time on my hands, so I'll just 
hang back and have a look over the bedroom we smashed into. Now that you're really paying attention to it, you get a better sense of your surroundings here. There's a standing cabinet of clothes. There's also a desk in the corner with various toiletries, trinkets, and things like that. Trinkets, you say? I, I wander over towards the trinkets. There's one main trinket that really catches your eye. It's a... Oh, man. <laughs> like a silver cylindrical canister engraved in what looks like a family crest or something, uh, standing bare, flanked by some oak leaves. The words Dearest Woodrow are inlaid in ivory upon it. How big is this canister? Maybe about 10 inches tall, a few inches across. I'm going to go ahead and grab that canister and uh, just hold on to it for a little bit while we figure out what's going on in the next room. Okay, well, just then, Anna speeds into the clearing by the cabin. I imagine I'll have heard her coming, so I'll be outside to wave her down and let her know everything's fine. Everyone's all right? Yes, uh, everyone except that butler from yesterday. Is he dead? Seems like. I've been checking the room. Near you on the kitchen counter, there's a box of mason jars. There doesn't seem to be anything in any of them, though. Huh. Is there anything by the still? There's a clipboard next to it with a hand-copied set of instructions that look like they're duplicated from the Arkham Paranormal Research Society minutes. Specifically, the procedure for distilling essential salts and that chant of life that Moses had recited. Anyone who looks it over, make an occult roll or Cthulhu mythos. 27 out of 60? Estelle's summation from the night before, crazy as that seems, really does seem to be the correct one. Estelle, I think you were right on the money. It sounds absurd, but... Read it forwards and it gives life. Read it backwards and it takes it. Well, Bully, maybe we should try that with our new friend here. It may come to that. But first, this place is clearly our best and biggest lead. We need to go through every room, investigate everything. If they're actually turning people into dust and back, we need to know why. I think around this time, uh, can I roll a inspect cylinder? You want to look the cylinder over? Yeah. Looks like it's got a screw cap. I think I'm going to go ahead and inspect inside. Yeah. Okay. So you remove the uh, cap from the cylinder. Inside is uh, a faintly luminescent dust. I guess I'd probably call out and be like, hey, anybody know anything about this here? What what luminescent dust it might be? Because I, I reckon Kenneth ain't going to know. What's that you have there? Bunch of glowing dust, just like by the still. I'm going to take a pinch and taste it. So, <laughs> Straight uh, into the mouth. He's in his oral phase of his uh, psychological development. I'll be perfectly honest. That's how you know whether something's a fossil or not. Well, so let's... the dust tastes... Make a power roll. All right. I'm powerful. Okay. So the dust tastes faintly middle age, misery, and ultimate failure. So do I notice the difference between my current state and what the dust has? <laughs> It feels very unsettling. <laughs> this is not good dust. It's got this cloying and unfortunate aftertaste that just lingers, and it it feels perilous. Don't taste this. So, uh, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, Cherry, you're looking at the dust and then looking down at this area by the still that you had been reading the notes from. Over by the still, I'm seeing a bunch of this dust over there, too. Is anybody else noticing they're not all the same color? Anyone who looks sees pretty much the same thing. Can I use my hobo uh, superpowers <laughs> to forensically see like what kind of, you know, what the stills process is? I mean, I've probably built a still, I'm sure, right, among my hobo travels. Do you well, have... you, you've made many of okay. Mark wine. 
Tell me what you want to roll. What relevant thing? If you have, it would cooking, be my, it would be my intelligence, right? That's my ability to okay. retain things that yeah. I've learned in, I my, guess in, in my life. In this case, I'm going to make it halved. That's fine. Yeah, because sure. I'm not, I'm not scared of your rolls. Go for it. Uh, 77. So definitely not. Yeah, you're looking it over. Definitely doesn't look like any kind of moonshine still you've ever seen. In, in a way that it just doesn't really make any sense to you, but right. You know. So I definitely know it's it's of some kind of occult. Maybe. I'm gonna roll my 25 occult. 24. <laughs> Fucking badass. Okay, so... That's the highest number. So, yeah, you make it. Awesome. Well, uh, as you follow the curves of this still... And it still has beautiful curves. This still is quite confusing. You keep following it, and then it doesn't make sense in a way that eats at you. It's not quite ending where it should. Make a sanity roll. I knew I was going to be punished for that. So what you're saying is he's looking at this still, and it, it doesn't seem to be keeping still. Would you say it has kind of a, a, a non-Euclidean architecture to it? Faintly. That's 17, uh, beats my 69. Okay, so you don't lose any sanity. You gain two points of occult and a point of Cthulhu mythos. You're kind of stuck reviewing this for a while. Like, the, the hobo, his eyes glaze over, and he's just staring at this thing intensely. Oswald. Oh, boy. Um, are you all right? There is uh, definitely some dark arts at play. I know, I'm the, I know I'm the last person to figure this out. But there is some definitely unusual things going on mm. in this room, mm. specifically with this still. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how it works, and it's almost um, un unending. Interesting. There was different colored dust. What kind of colors are we talking about as far as correlations, different piles, different places? Primary. It's all scattered around. Like It doesn't look like it's neatly piled up. It looks like it's just kind of left over from whatever was being done here. But you just see faint smatterings of bluish dust, greenish dust. I'm going to kind of look, look around in other parts of the room while they're yeah, uh, looking, certainly. looking at this still, see if I can find anything interesting around. The still in the laboratory equipment, that all really catches your eyes and everything. But but one of the things, kind of in the middle of the room is a, a desk and just covered in papers and stuff. Mm -hmm. and you make your way over towards that it. That sounds interesting. I'll go through the desk a little bit. Yeah. On this desk, you see a couple of boxes that look like they're actually labeled similarly to the ones that you found in the Elias estate. Boxes from the previous estate sale, the Pell estate sale. There's papers and things like that scattered everywhere, crumpled up stuff. A couple of things that you see of major note, though, is what looks like a really old leather-bound book. What looks like a, a bunch of frantically scribbled notes and poetry and things like that. Are you going to flip through anything, or is there anything you want to take a look at? I ain't too concerned about the papers. That, that, that book seems uh, kind of important. I'm probably not going to know what to make of it, though, so I'll probably just go through the desk a little bit more thoroughly, maybe set that book off to the side, maybe show one of the other folks over there. Uh, what's that? Oh, this must be the collection of John D. poems. When she picks that book up, Kenneth, you see one thing that looks more in order compared to the mess on this table. A clip stack of papers with a freshly titled deed that reads, Monarch Theater located in Boston. And next to that, you also find a bound playbook that's been madly annotated and scribbled all over. The title is The King in Yellow. Oh, Ugh, I, I throw that to the side. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to examine the poems. You flip it open. The first page on it looks like it's been inserted at some point sometime long after this, this book was actually printed, says uh, the collected poems of Dr. John D. Well, well, well. You find a second title page, and it says the Necronomicon of the Mad Arab Abdul al-Hazrad, as translated and collated 
by Dr. John D. Esquire in the service of the Queen. Oh dear. This is Pell's copy of the Necronomicon, the one that he said too much was missing from. <sighs> okay. Here's what I'm seeing so far. That cylinder that has Woodrow Lice's name on it. I'm fairly certain that that's what's left of his body due to some kind of strange process using this machine. And I'm, I'm pointing to the still or whatever it is. This is all circling back to the Elias's trying, unsuccessfully for the most part, to piece together some kind of ritual using John Dee's Necronomicon. But I still don't know what it has to do with the Yellow King. We need more answers, but even if we can find them in Dee's Necronomicon, quite frankly, speaking from experience, I don't think any of us should risk reading this ever. It's just a book, ma'am. I frankly don't right. see the, the issue. I mean, I can I can read. Were it, there any other books in the house? Uh, matter of fact, that uh, that their play might be over there. I'm gonna go over and grab the the playbook. The King in Yellow. Wait, that's a copy of the play. Looks like. Here, maybe you can make something of it. I'm gonna go wait in the other room while you guys figure this out. Do I detect anything strange about this? Because I'm at this point, I'm extremely cautious of what I read. I <laughs> made some mistakes. Make an occult roll. Uh, I rolled a, a 41 out of 70. Here's the thing. You've been mulling over what Pell wrote. Connection between Yellow King and the unspeakable, worth risk of reading the play. This is a man who wanted to compare notes between copies of the Necronomicon itself and he's worried about reading this. But we've got to. A text like this, it's all rumors and hearsay until you crack it open. You've taken a lot of sanity hits, but not everybody has. There's a lot to, to study here. Oswald, we're trying to uh, sort a lot of things out. Could, t could, you, could you read this for me? Of course, yeah. Um, just I, the cliff notes, just trying to get a bearing on everything here. Understood. So Os Oswald will accept the play and he trusts Estelle. Clearly, she would never do anything to put him into danger. She'd never have him willingly read something that would change someone forever after reading it. And, you know, he, he trusts her with all of his heart, being a very, you know, loving and trusting hobo king. You seem like a very theatrical individual, so a play might be, you know, might suit you. Yeah, of course. Uh, Oswald uh, straightens out his hat, a little pat on the top, and you know, gives it a read. Okay, so you're going to be sitting down reading that for a while. Okay. I imagine about this time, uh, Kenneth has probably made his way back towards the uh, the first room where there was some miscellaneous stuff, and uh, maybe I take a little bit more time looking through the the back room. You open the standing closet, and within there appear to be men's clothes that are in here that have been in here for quite a while. They look like they've been pushed aside. You see women's clothes in here as well that look like they've been more recently used or touched or moved around. As you look through the wardrobe. A glint catches your eye, and at the bottom of the wardrobe, you find another coin. Oh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put that in the pocket with the rest of the coins. <laughs> Anything else of interest that I might find in here? Not too much, no. Anna and I are sorting through the remaining stacks of whatnot on the desk. You find the deed that Kenneth saw. This might be significant. A theater. A theater for a play. And there are also some poems. They don't seem dangerous, but they might be telling. Hmm, let's see here. But if along the shore the cloud waves broke, and you could witness the sea, the twin suns glow like fiery brazier, 
but then start to retreat, the glow ever hazier. As the Grim King takes his seat, he gestures with his left, he gestures with his right, no longer do brave men fight. Dark days to strange nights give way, the sun and moon to the dark king give sway. From strange skies to strange voices sing, much to the strange joy of the tattered king. Black stars rise as good men drown, into dim Carcosa do all come down. Shadows lengthen as you view, the world growing frantic from beneath the murky blue. Lost Carcosa rise from the Atlantic. Now lost is the soul who had the will to fight, as the long dark shadows grow ever so bright. But seek not this moment, your efforts will not be rewarded. The only thing you can do is wonder and imagine. Time is a mercy the king has afforded. Well, I've never been a man of verse, per se, but a lot to admire there. But also, damn ominous. Uh, excuse me. I'm, I'm diligently at work, I'm reading, and you're making too much of a commotion, so I'm gonna go in the other room and close the door. That's fine. I was done with it anyway. So, what's all happening? We think they're trying to summon a demon or something? Oh, something far worse, I think. This reminds me of some of what I saw under the thrall of the Necronomicon. Dark, evil gods. No, gods feels wrong. Gods, I understand. These things, they're more horrendous and repugnant than anything to crawl out of any sort of mythological underworld. I can't even grasp the form. They're beings of immense, terrible power. Well, I'll, I'll take your word for it then. I've seen enough hell on this earth already. I don't care to see more. Well, I suppose the next thing for me to do would be to look over the other poem we have on hand, the one said to animate and deanimate, and experiment on the Woodrow Cylinder and the butler, risk perhaps, seeing if one of these dead things comes alive again. All right. Estelle, uh, which direction are you reading the words? Forward. To return to life. And if uh, everyone could watch over me in case something tremendously bad happens, that would be wonderful. I'm just waving my gun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ready for anything. I've got the cylinder on the ground a reasonable distance away from Pelham the butler. We'll see what's what. I touch Estelle's shoulder. You sure about this? We've come this far. I don't know what there is left to do. (sighs) I clear my senses and open myself up to the energies within me and out to the universe. Bind ye stars of demon Azathoth's shine. Death to life, revisit chosen few. Find ye death and life in harmony's rhyme. At the cost of three magic points and D10 of your sanity. Four? Do you realize that this is real and this is working and your voice echoes across dimensions other than your own? The cylinder of ash begins to writhe and shake and crackle and in a lightning snap, it begins to billow forth and crouched On the ground in front of you, where there was once a small cylinder, is a man 
twisted and broken. He's hollow in area, missing pieces. Blessed goddess! 31 out of 69. Yeah, if you make it, you lose one. If you fail, you lose D6. Very well, I lost six sanity. 60 out of 80. Okay, so you make it, you lose a point. So your, your sanity is, drops to 79. I rolled a 76 and lost two sanity. You guys are taken aback, gasping at it, but uh, he mostly seems to be intact. He just definitely does not seem like anywhere near the peak of health. This guy is gaunt, he's kind of skinny. He's missing chunks of flesh and hair from him. He just doesn't look complete. Does he look coherent? What? Who are you? Where? What's his? Woodrow Elias. What? 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 Is that your name? Are you Woodrow Elias? How do you know me? No. Yes, I am. What a Woodrow anymore. Who were you until you were Woodrow? <gasps> Who are you? Mr. Cubbenfield, if you please. She killed me. She did it. She took me. She put me away. Your sister? I should die. I should be dead. He runs his hand, his twisted, gnarled hand, across his misshapen forehead and says, Why by me? Curse you. I curse her. Yes, well. The power was taken. What power? He begins to lean in towards you. Okay. Whispering things into your ear. The things that he whispers, it gives way to just a shriek, shrill, screaming. <laughs> I push him. He stumbles over. He's pretty weak. So you knock that off. I knock you off. And he thrashes out at you. <laughs> Are you going to try to dodge him, fight back at him? I'm just going to try to like push him a little bit. Okay. Keep him away. Roll brawl. I fail. I want to intervene and blackjack this man like a gambler would. This uh, twisted vision of what is presumably Woodrow Elias claws across Moses' face. Does a point of damage to him. Shit fire. And then you're going to blackjack him? Go yep. for it. <laughs> 83 out of 70. This guy's twisted and unpredictable. He's not really strong, but he is wily. Wild card. <laughs> and you're not able to bring the sap home on him, and you just kind of glance it across his back. You brought me back. You, you brought, brought me back. Brought you back from what? Don't you know? What was the ritual? The power. The power. Oh. It's inside us, but it's only alone. This is not our world. This is not our world at all. Whose world is it, Woodrow? You live on it like scum. It hurts. Why did she do it? She should have left me dead. Who? Missing pieces. Missing pieces. Mildred, was it Mildred? Eat the flesh, yes. Mildred eats the flesh? Death time. Death time. I'm furious. Pull a note out of my pocket. Uh, you get your death time, boy. Rhyme harmonious in life and death ye find. Few chosen revisit life to death. Shine as a thought demon of stars we bind. As you begin to say that, he cowers, obviously terrified out of his mind. He lets out one last final shriek. There's another lightning bolt crack, and both the writhing Woodrow and the dead body of Pella collapse into luminescent dust. And Moses, you lose 1d10 sanity. How many points of magic did I lose? Uh, three. H how many points of sanity did you lose? One. 
Yeah, Mountain Man took it like a champ. Lucky duck. <laughs> I, why did I, I have too much sanity? I should be a crazy old coot. At this point, Oswald Sinclair has come out with the play and says, I've barely made it past the first act. This play is rubbish. Slowest reader ever. Speaking of sanity loss, Oswald, you've been reading The King in Yellow. Take a hit of D10 Sanity, and let's see how well you've been handling it. That's about an eight. Ouch. It was not a great read. It was so boring, it drove me crazy. When you walked out of the room, you were still looking down at the manuscript, reading through it. But when you look up, your eyes go wide. Your friends are nowhere to be found. It's a bunch of police, and they've all got their guns trained on you. Coppers! What Uh, coppers? You can't lock me up. I'm free, you bastards, and you're not going to take me alive. There's no one here, Oswald, just us. I, I think I should take that book from you. Oh, you're not getting nothing. And I run uh, frantically back to the bedroom, slam the door, and barricade myself in. Okay, you gain a point of Cthulhu mythos, by the way. Damn right I did. <sighs> Moses, do you think you could go around the back, make sure he's all right? <laughs> Ain't nothing in this world all right no more. And I head out the front door, and I'll go around back. So, <laughs> this dust is a bit of a mess. Uh, but I saw a small brush on the counter, presumably for precisely the situation. And I'm not going to be overly careful about it, but I sweep up Woodrow and put him back in the canister. Uh, I'll grab one of those mason jugs for the butler. Careful. Every one of them has a mother. Well, he's already been missing <laughs> pieces, and there might be a chunk of him inside of Moses' scuts. We don't know. Just on the tip of my tongue. I'm sure we'll figure it out. Moses, the back door is unbarricaded. You can walk right in. You find Oswald holed up in a little fort he's made out of the bed, reading again, but seemingly not worse for wear. Oswald, get out of there. Quit farting around. Oh, I'm glad you're here. The revenue officers have found me. They're outside, out front. You take point, and I'll be behind you at the crowbar, and we'll take those coppers out, and then we can escape. Oswald, you ain't never earned no revenue in your life. No one's after you. No, 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 no. They know what I did. They know everything I've done. Well, convenient for them, because they ain't here. So. Oh, they're cracking down on the stock market, you see. Wall Street is evil, and they know what I've done, and they're here for me. Well, you best give yourself up. You're you're right. You open the bedroom door, and you just see your friends gathered around. It looks like the cops have gone. I appear to be mistaken. Everything I've said in the past five minutes is completely fictional. Please... Ignore everything, especially the thing about Wall Street, specifically. Wait, what happened on Wall Street? Nothing. I think I bought a, uh, I think I bought a pretzel once. Moving on. Okay. I will take the book from Oswald. He, he readily gives it up. I mean, pretty did, seriously. Did, did you, did you learn anything from this play? Uh, one point of Cthulhu Mythos. Oh, speaking of which, when you close the book, there's an insignia on the front of it that dances and screams at your mind, Oswald. Make a sanity roll. Does it still do that? Oh, you're saying right now it started doing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah, right, like right. It, it was it was on the front before, and sure, you're like, whatever, sure, let me just read this. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I'm not fine. Okay, D6. It's a four. You are shaken by it. That sign is alive. It's staring into you. In that sign, you can just feel humanity eating itself. I can feel humanity eating itself. That doesn't seem like a preposterous thing for him to say, but maybe the way he said it. Oh, it was extremely distressing the way he said it. I feel humanity eating itself. 
I feel it. I feel too sane. I feel like my reaction would just be to smack it out of his hands. Stop it. Moses. I feel humanity eating itself, but I feel I feel less worried about it. Good. Thank you. I mean, humanity eats its own dog-eat-dog world. Concern this book. Thank you. I pick up the book and look at the symbol, and I take it I don't feel anything from it. It looks a little weird. Like, it almost it almost feels like it's not quite the same shape every time you look at it. N- nothing to make you act like he was acting. Well, since this play has so disturbed Oswald, and we have all these scribbled notes of nonsense stage directions, I'm going to take a wild guess that the play is the ritual. Oh. Oh! I grabbed the deed from the desk. It's a deed for a theater in Boston! If the play is a ritual... Of course! Where better to stage it? And... Monarch Theater. Gods preserve us. You think Mildred is there? If she's not, she certainly will be soon. And one way or another, we're going to bring the curtain down on this madness. Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program is offering bonus content to Fable and Folly Plus supporters, including character creation and how-to-play episodes, plus cast and crew outtakes, all still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. That last piece of music you heard there is a new bit of score from Ryan McQuinn of Neon Dolphin. That's one of three new pieces we commissioned from Ryan and his brother Mike in the midst of our production. New music and expansive sound that we have our supporters to thank for. It's because of your generous contributions via Patreon that we were able to further invest in the McQuinn brothers' incredible talents and make this program even better. You can find the complete Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program score, including the three new tracks, on the Nerdy Show Bandcamp page. All proceeds go back to the composers. And, if you want to help fund this series and contribute to our future productions, including our third adventure into Lovecraftian horror, please do visit patreon.com slash nerdyshow. There, you'll find bonus content from this show with more to arrive in the coming weeks, and a teeming throng of perks from across the Nerdy Show Network's diverse and, dare I say, magnificent programming. One perk we should most definitely mention is that if you back us at our higher tiers, you become a credited producer of this show and the network. You'll hear our announcer share the names of these generous folks following our song break. We're delighted to say that a new name has joined their ranks, Aaron Ramsey. Truly a bold soul who doesn't shy away from the dark things that chitter in the crevices of life, and knows the power of investing in their further study. Thank you, Aaron. Now, there are indeed other ways to aid us in our audio drama excellence, such as a one-time donation via nerdyshow.com support, which longtime contributor Berto Elcon recently took advantage of with a very generous contribution. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Your ratings have not gone unnoticed, and we greatly appreciate them. Please do keep them coming. And if you have a moment to spare, leave us a review. 
It's been a dreadfully long time since I've had a new review to read here on the show. Taking Us Out is a special track created just for the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program by Heaven Pegasus. They make ferocious dance music that fuses a number of styles, and their self-titled record is an occult-tinged ray of sunshine guaranteed to show you hitherto unseen colors in your mundane world. For instance, the track Fur Fur, a downright charming tune about summoning an Earl of Hell. Here it is, a special version of the song arranged just for us in an appropriately jazzy style. And if this tickles your fancy, then follow our links to purchase the full-length version of the song in its original form. This is Fur Fur by Heaven Pegasus. to the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to subscribe to our series via your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Episode 7, Dust to Dust, was written and performed by Luke Stram, Cap Blackard, Nikki Holland, John Sebastian Laval, Bohr, and Joshua LaForge, with additional vocal performances by Melody Pereira, James Barbarossa, Brandon Gerson, and Nina Bernadakis. The series is edited and produced by Colin Peterson and Cap Blackard, and the original score is composed and performed by Ryan McQuinn and Mike McQuinn of Neon Dolphin, home for all your custom music needs and more, neondolphinmusic.com. For full episode credits and links to where you can purchase this series' original score, as well as character sheets and other supplemental material, visit CthulhuMystery.com. The Call of Cthulhu Mystery program is proudly played using Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition, available at fine role-playing retailers everywhere. This program and all the programs on the Nerdy Show Network are made possible by the support of listeners like you. With special thanks to our Patreon producers, Isa Biz, Allison Parent, David Van Pelt, Aaron Ramsey, Evan Baumel, Hoodoo Voodoo, Jameson Lalone, Dr. Talos, Joshua Westfall, R. Scott Diedrich, Sean T. Red, and Zombie Pops. Join us at patreon.com slash nerdyshow or head to nerdyshow.com slash support for additional ways to contribute. All characters appearing are fictitious, and any resemblances to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This has been the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program. Good night. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. So now what am I supposed to believe? Is any of this for real?
Well, it looks to me like you're trying to hide. Yeah, my mom always said don't trust anybody. Maybe they'd want to know where you're hiding out tonight. Thank you for returning my license, Joseph. That ding-dang detector pulled you. But she was married, you know. Stop being a little prick. Do you have your doubts? All right, kids. Say goodbye to Uncle Joseph. I'll handle it. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, buddy. Just say how sorry we are to hear about your parents. Why is she talking about you having a mustache? Do you want to take a walk? Three complete seasons of Dirt, an audio drama, are now available to binge wherever you listen to podcasts or at dirtaudiodrama.com.